This is Conversations on the Arts. I'm Mary Krieger. I'm delighted to have as my guest today Roger Herman, an artist and a professor of painting and drawing at the UCLA Department of Art. His current show is a Paintings of the 80s at the Jankar Gallery in Chinatown. Thank you so much for coming, Roger. Thank you. You were one of the first big creators of Chinatown. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, how that came about, how that Chinatown happened to begin with? Yeah, I, it was more like a, a situation where it's first of all close to my house and I used to go there to these antique shops and a friend of mine, Hubert Schmalix, who is also a painter, we both found a space, uh, that, you know, every space there was for rent for like four or five hundred dollars and then we decided to get a space, we didn't really know what to do with it, but let's just have a space, like having a vase, you know, like a beautiful space and then we got it and China Art Objects was at the time also starting to build a space and then... Did you know them? You know yeah, yeah, them? I know did them. You, did you know, did the two of you together decide to do it? No, 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 it was totally independent. I mean, they were much more uh, involved in doing a professional gallery. Uh, they had it much more mopped out in a, in a professional way. While we, at the beginning, we just had the space for about half a year and then the first show was kind of an accumulation of stuff we owned of different artists and uh, asking friends to participate and I think we it took us about three months to install the show. And, and it was, you left the name of the original? Yeah, Black Dragon Society was a Kung Fu studio. I see. So we kept that and then uh, we had an opening and we didn't have a telephone, we didn't have opening hours, we didn't have anything practically. And then uh, the next step was to show young artists, uh, mostly students of mine, yeah. I gave him a key and I would say, you can install, take as long as you want, you can work here. And then that's how the whole thing grew. And then we did shows in the basement and upstairs, we did fashion shows, we did music, we did dinners. The idea was actually, we wanted to create... What was the this, idea? How did that... I, like have a place to meet, you know, to hang yeah. out. And, you know, there's so many mahjong parlors where these old people hang out and play mahjong. And I thought, that's how it should be. But then it became an art gallery, unfortunately, because first we left the walls green, they had this horrible color, and we thought, that's cool, we put couches in. And then... What year uh, was this? That was 98, I August see. 98. And then um, it kind of evolved. I mean, we other galleries opened, and uh, our artists became somewhat known. People bought the work. We sold the work normally. Uh, we took 10% donation in the first few years. And so the work was like $200, $150, up to maybe 800 And then they wanted to have a better uh, service by us. And they were leaving us, going to other galleries. And right. then, then we upped it. We hired a director, Parker Jones, Parker, right. who worked for uh, a gallery in Venice, a professional gallery. And then he became sort of the commercial engine. You know, he went to art fairs. He Then we put out ads, we got a phone, we got a computer, we got a regular schedule, we had interns, we did photos, we printed catalogs, and before we knew it we had an overhead of like you know $15,000 every month that we had to basically make. Right. And that was sort of the beginning of the end, you know. I mean, we were pretty successful financially, yeah, right. but I didn't really like to be an art dealer. Right, I, exactly. I, I was kind of more for the one-shot deal, you know, like give them artists a show and then move on. And, and, 
but then you know we but did. You did that, and you created. But, you, you yeah, did create a scene down we there. We did create a scene. Which yeah. is still there. Yeah. Well, now it's kind of it's changed. It's changing. Yeah. Right. And uh, so that's sort of the, the story. Yeah. Um, Thirty years ago, you came to California from Germany. I came as a, on a grant to San Francisco. Okay, and what, 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 how did that, what happened? It was a DAAD grant, and I went to San Francisco, I don't know why, I actually knew Diebenkorn's work, I knew David Park, I knew the Bay Area figurative painters. And I always was interested in figuration. So I came in the 70s, late 70s, and uh, Diebenkorn lived in LA, and Park was dead, and I had, didn't know what to do up there. So I stayed there three years, and then I moved down here because I met... Uh, Ulrike Cantor, and I met uh, Andy Wilf, David Amico, uh, Gary Lang, Gary Lloyd, all these people who were around the gallery called the American Gallery. What is his name? Greg O'Rourke. And then Ulrike took it over, basically. She partnered up with Greg and then kicked Greg out. Yeah, uh, and, and that I, was the gallery then? That was the gallery, and I, it was kind of for me, I always wanted this kind of a... I kind of missed Germany because at that time Germany had an enormous renaissance of young galleries, artists doing their own thing and um, having co-ops and you know like the people in Berlin, uh, uh, Fedding, uh, Mittendorf, uh, all these young artists started their place. So in, in Hamburg it was Kippenberger, Erlen and then in Cologne it was uh, Büttner and uh, Dokopil. And I felt this was missing here because here everything was still so proper. Everybody had to have a gallery and all this. So when Ulrike and Greg had this gallery, I thought, oh, this is more like it. You know, it was very casual. She was the mother hen and she did these shows. She was amazing, wasn't she? She was really amazing, yeah. And then I think that's why I actually finally moved here, you know. And I felt LA was very open at the time for all these young people who did stuff. It wasn't as segregated as San Francisco where you had the alternative scene but it never mixed with the commercial scene. So um, there was, um, Rosamund Felsen had a similar space. Yeah. And then Ulrike moved, after she had it in her own house, she moved it to La Cienega. And that was sort of in 81, 82, 83. So how did you meet Ulrike? I met her through a friend, a German friend who knew her, who knew her ex-husband. And he introduced me to her, and, and first she wasn't interested because she said, I don't show artists who don't live in L.A. That's why I also moved here, you know. <laughs> she was always pretty funny. And I really became friends with, you know, Mike Kelly and, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Victor Henderson, uh, Jerry Brain. Yes. Uh, and all these people. And I thought it was really exciting. Everybody was sort of on, on a... And there's on. also that other gallery... Um, well, Jankar and had a gallery. Yeah, yeah, they had a gallery. They, they uh -huh. had a gallery. That's they true. David yes, they, they and, showed uh, David before, and then they showed Richard Prince and Sean uh, Levine, but also and Thomas Jerry Larson too. and Jerry Brain. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they showed him yeah. too. You were showing there. What were you showing? Is this the same work that you're showing? Yeah, you're I showed now? work that I partially had in made in, that I had done in San Francisco, in in Oakland, and. Uh, I showed uh, these humongous self-portraits, you know, they were just gigantic and they were just obnoxious and it was also, the whole thing was to go against the grain of um, of what was going on in life. Because when I came to, went to school, it was all very conceptual work, a lot of theory, a lot of minimalism. And so this work was sort of kind of faux naive, counter uh, 
counter progressive. It was right. sort of a weird thing, you know. And Did it have any? Punk, were you interested in punk at all? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but punk was already over at the it time. Was already over. In LA, saying, but, but it was actually, LA came later. Uh, England, it was sort of mid seventies. Right, yeah, right. and then in LA and on the Bay Area, it was kind of a late punk. It was kind of ten years later, right. but it was all over, like the Germs, the Dills, the Avengers. And I got my head bashed in a lot of times in these. You know, I had like really short hair. And it was pretty wild. And then here... Did you ever have a mohawk? Or? No, never mohawk, just short. <laughs> mohawk was sukimiki, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that, but I'm uh -huh. just saying. Yeah, no. Uh, it, and, and I think um, it was just, you know, because when you think about politically, the whole time was all big Wall Street, Reagan, Thatcher, it was all... Yeah. So the art scene was kind of on the side. It was kind of, we had our own playground, you know. And I think the music was split in a way too. There was this horrible music going on. I mean, I never liked more glam stuff. And so there was a lot of these disco, art bands. No, disco. Disco. And then, but we were all into this art art music, like Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and, you know, the, the New York, new, new Wave, New York, New York, or New Wave, New York or something. Uh, like, I don't know, Black, no, what is it? James Black and the you know, these names. And it was pretty good, you know, and it was all downtown in the, uh, Al's bar and there was all these bands and I once painted Al's bar one night, I painted the whole ceiling with Van Gogh and uh, Indians on the wall. And, I mean, I don't know. So let's, let's talk a little about the subject matter that you were doing at right. the time. Um, like you say, Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. um, what, and also I'm noticing looking here at this painting of, um, what is it, farm Mm -hmm, the workers, field workers. Field yeah. workers, which was sort of a subject of French painting. You know, yeah, like, it's like Millet. Millet or, or Corot. Or yeah. Was that a subject matter that you were interested in at the time? Or why that subject matter? Uh, it was, was more like, uh, I, I think when I came first here, I mean, when you're out of art school, you kind of don't know what to do next. And uh, so I, I started to paint from the beginning. You know, it was nearly like trying to make my own subject matter. Because that was all this... The, 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 the problem was, what do I paint? I mean, it didn't matter how to paint, but what do I really paint? And so then the subject matter was self-portrait. Then I painted mountains. That's the ones, actually, Eli has two big mountains. The big mountains, then I painted. But it's also like a Cezanne theme. Then it was uh, the ocean. Then it was the field workers, Van Gogh. Well, I did Van Gogh also did self-portrait. Marat. Yeah, yeah. And the Marat. The Marat. Why Marat? Well, it was a romantic subject it was from a um, movie, you know, from Abel Gant's Napoleon. Uh, and it was Atto playing Marat. It was all these kind of plays on, 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 on where it come, came from, you know, the subject matter. And so I was never an expressionist in that way because that's what people always try to pigeonhole a lot of us that we were. Like Andy Wilf was not an expressionist, he was a photorealist and then he became, uh, he, he was kind of naive in a way that he took photos of uh, Mühl and Nietzsche performances and painted them. He had never, know, he didn't know anything about them. He just saw the photos and he painted these gigantic torture paintings. Or, or, were you using images of things that you saw? In, yeah. In, like, it was kind of appropriation. Was yeah, in a way, yeah. In a yeah. way, there was some kind yeah. of appropriation. Well, I was, I was appropriating, but I wasn't appropriating in this kind of a cool way, like Richard Prince or like Cheryl Levine. I was much more, I tried to get it, have it all, be romantic and cool and do abstract expressionism and pop art at the same time. That's right. why the woodcuts, in 84 I made these gigantic woodcuts. Yeah. They were a little more like posters, you know. And, they, and they why woodcut? Why that medium? 
You know, I, by accident, I saw a, a Jim Dine print in San Francisco at Crown Point Press. And I saw, and it was so big, and I asked him, how do you make a woodcut that big? And he said, oh, we use plywood. So that, that did it. I said, then I do it. So I bought all these big sheets of plywood. And, and then the, they use very bright colors. Why the yeah. red color? Well, you can only use two colors in a woodcut, so I've used <laughs> You know, it's kind of simple. Red, yellow, blue, whatever, one the, color. The color with impact. Yeah, yeah, like a simple color. You know, and, but the idea of the way that you use the woodcut, was there some kind of approach to it? Uh, no, no. It was just the only way how to do it. You know, cut it out. Rather the, doing it the early style. ones were more gouged because I used chisels and then later, like this one here, this big one of the office, of the auditorium, I used the router. I used power tools. Oh, really? So they are not as gouged. You know, they're not as chiseled out. And what with the subject matter of, uh, I mean, like, and there's certain th themes that seem to come back you know, into your work a lot. Um, the school, the school um, room. What what is a school room? And what, you know, why that subject? Um, was that a school? Uh, well, it's kind of in, in in that there was the first subject matter was this romantic subject matter. Yes. Like the mountain, the ocean, the thing, and then and then I ended up at one point to do this building. The the balcony building. Yeah, what the, is that? Where it's is just that a, it's in South. It was a photo from a South African building, apartment building, and I used it, and it worked as a painting. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm really more of an abstract painter because it worked. I thought this is perfect. It's like a, it's a abstract. It's figurative. It's somewhat haunting. It looks like an Edward Hopper, but at the same time, it's completely meaningless because it's just a random image. And then I tried to do other buildings and it didn't work then I realized I'm sort of a one track painter you know I was really I'm, you find a building that works then we use that building right and then I did a part of probably a hundred buildings you know? right. and then the same with this auditorium I did a lot of interiors but this is the only one that worked on that level where it has this feeling in it that you think oh something is happening or there's something not happening you know, oops sorry uh, so it's like a, there has an emptiness and a meaning at the same time, you know, like an Edward Hopper painting. You yes. know? And, and I like that, that emotion in it. Um, and I stuck with that, so I did about 20 of the auditoriums too. And then For me, it's always about subject matter, and I have a good one. I keep doing that one because every painting is different. Right. You know? It's like basically I'm, I'm painting a square, you know. Like, so I paint the buildings like in this way. Or right. Something. It's a vehicle. Yeah. It's a vehicle, yeah. It's a vehicle for you. Yeah. Um, However, somewhat I'm attached to, you know, not every, I, you know, I have thousands of photographs that I could use, but I can only use maybe 20. But then you find work. the one that works, yeah. and then I use that. Yeah. Um, so, again, like, for example, I was talking to a collector the other day who told me that he had a piece of yours. Two collectors I know have a pieces of yours um, of a woman with a vacuum cleaner. Uh-huh. What's the story with the woman with the vacuum cleaner? I thought that who was... Who is she? <laughs> who is she? It's my mother. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... It's a... I think it's an image from a porn magazine. Because she's naked, when, I have to say. When, because when she they were... They used to have naked. porn magazines where... Um, you know, in the 50s, it, it wasn't quite porn. It was just a woman vacuum cleaning. and She was naked. Or, right, right. You know, a woman sitting at the barbecue grill, like they're sort of half nudist and half 
So, and I thought it was a really funny image. But, yeah. but I'm just saying, the subject matter of the woman with vacuum cleaner, the subject of your parents. Um, but the parents was much closer. I have these, I have this photo book uh, of my parents. It's like a big, it's large photos, and they're kind of these glamour photos. I mean, I can show it to you later. It's very strange. I just showed it to some Germans who were here from my hometown who knew my family. And tell me about your family. Well, it's, you know, I don't know them that well because my father died when I was nine oh. and my mother died when I was 19, 20. Oh my, oh. So uh, my father was pretty much absent, but he was a very bigger than life. That's why these portraits were so... I was going to say, that they don't uh, look like intimate photographs. No, no. These photographs are very, uh, they're nearly like they had this fashion photographer go around and they look like a, it's right after the war, before I was born, it's in 45 and it looks like uh, Hollywood. My mother is wearing this short shorts. I mean, she looks sort of like a, a movie actress in a way. My father looks super cool, you know, with a, and they drive this big car and he always dressed impeccably, you know, like this. And my mother was more simpler in a way. And, you know, I really don't know much about him. I mean, he was, you know, he was kind of, he was in a concentration camp for a long time. Oh, really? What, what was it? He was in Buchenwald for, I don't know really, I mean for, some people said for, falsific, for, for for political reasons, that he was a social democrat. The other people thought that he was also making passports, fake passports, that he was kind of like a white collar to, for people to get out. And he was there for four years. I have oh. letters, an exchange do, of letters. Really? Yeah. So letters from home? From Buchenwald. How did you get them? I have them. I mean, they're, they're stamped and they say, you know, be aware all the letters are being read. And, you know, and he says, dear honey, how are you? You know, I'm doing well, fine. letters from Beckenwald to... To uh, my mother. To your mother. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah, and my mother then was for one year in prison too for, uh, for saying that she knew what was going on in the camps. So they put her away. You know, she was like... Uh, and your mother was, was French? German. My father was French. Oh, your father was French? And your mother was German. Yeah. So I mean, we are from the French border, you know, mm -hmm. so it was a very, like, a like where? transition in Saarbrücken. Uh, uh, next to Metz, Nancy, yeah. We are very, uh, we are very different from Germany. Yeah. Well, we were always, we were, until 1960, we were French. Occupied. I Or oh, we had French money. And I went to French school. So where did you actually grow up until you were in, 19, before you were? In Saarbrücken. Oh, I, I see. Yeah, yeah. And you went to art school where? Later. No, I, I studied first in Saarbrücken. I studied to become a lawyer. To be a lawyer? Uh -huh. For three, four years. Three years. And then I realized I, I was going to flunk. Because in Germany, you can go to university. It's pretty liberal. You know, it's like you go and you go to lectures and you never do a test. This, you know, like, and then at the end of three years, you do seminars and you have to do these tests. Yeah. And I was, it was just... And then... Um, uh, when it came down to it, I said, no, I'm going to become an artist. I can't handle this. And then I switched. And no. then you do paintings of, of classrooms without students in uh -huh. I mean, school is free, first of all. Yes. And so I studied as long as I could. I studied 10 years. I was always a student. Yeah. Eternal student. Yes, yes. And then I went to art school in Karlsruhe, what was a, a big old-fashioned art school with Baselitz, Lüppertz. Uh, Kirkaby, all these people taught there, and that was you some of the them? influences. You know those people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lüppertz I know, I know Baselitz, 
when Baselitz was here, I was translating for him at the LACMA, you know, we sat together in Emendorf, and so all these people were there. Well, well, this group around Ulrika, the one thing that was in common, they, I, I don't know necessarily whether it was a subject matter or whatever, but they were painters primarily, wasn't was it? Yeah, uh-huh. it, was, so. it was a painting. Yeah. Um, um, do you yeah. see like any kind of, this with, with your students now, any kind of connection to painting? Well, I teach that? painting, so my students are consequently all painters, you know, like my grad students. So why bring back this 80s work now? I guess I, think, was, think I was going to show this mountain at Tom's gallery. I said, I'm just going to show one painting. Right. You know, and then uh, he said, oh, why don't you show the paintings of the 80s? That would be great. You know, so fine. I mean, people haven't seen it. Right, and, people, that's right. And, and also, it's that's so funny that people here, are, LA is a very funny town. There's no memory. Uh, no memory. No memory. You know, I mean, it's like in, 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 I mean, maybe we are overly historical in Europe. You know, there's, we have always documents. I always thought, wow, in the 80s, uh, every artist in Germany had big catalogs and books, and even in ga- every gallery makes a book. And, you know, and there's, a, there's a document. The web is changing it a bit. A lot of these things were uh, never put in the internet, you know, because it didn't exist then. Yeah. I just saw the LA Times is putting some old archival stuff back in. A lot of magazines, a lot of yeah. people, well, Herald Examiner, you know, yeah. Whisper Night, wrote right. all these articles yeah, yeah. about you, and yeah. uh, all these artists. Yeah. He was, uh, um, and they were in shows everywhere. Mm-hmm. The up uh, in, the, in the last few years, that whole boom, was different from the 80s. I think it was a more larger group and a bigger collective and younger people and I think it was actually pretty serious. Yeah. Like, it's like new people yeah. will come and yeah. something new will be, you know, people, maybe places like Giant Tower yeah. or you know, less expensive, I don't know. Maybe no, or the, the garage, Tom Salomon's exactly, garage. Exactly, or, or, exactly. Or what is the guy who did it out of his apartment? And, yeah. um, well, um, Byron Butler. Yeah. yeah. So I think it goes back and forth. No, no, I, w- I wanted to talk about the 80s again. I thought what was interesting when I came here I, I was so excited that LA was very welcoming. Yes. You know, that it was super open. You know, I lived in this downtown loft, and then I, Ulrika, maybe Ulrika was instrumental, you know, and Robert Rowan came over and he would give big talks, and it was great, you know. And, yeah. and then Eli even came over once because I did a slideshow. I had a slideshow, I still have it. It was sort of, had all the old, because I brought it all with me you, with Polka. Eli Broad, we're talking about. These, Slides of Polka, Richter, um, you know, Immendorf, ba- you know, and Baselitz, and nobody knew them here. At that time, you could have bought a Gerhard Richter for like, you know, two thousand dollars. Know, right. Uh, has been. First of all, I don't think LA has a painting tradition or no. painting history. It's a brief Chinese moment with in the eighties, when painting. That's was true. There. I mean, I'm just saying that. I'm not just you. I'm saying that period yeah, of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those artists like. Ruben. Well, I mean, it has to do whether LA is willing to investigate its own history. The interview I did before is Susan Anderson, who did this group in the 30s called the American, there was a group of scene painters in California mm-hmm. who were doing a certain kind of, kind of work yeah. um, during the WPA uh-huh. in the 20s and 30s, and then came the abstract expressionists. There, actually, this back and forth has been going on in California yeah, yeah. For, for every 10, 15, 20 years. Like, for example, I didn't know that Philip Guston, um, used to, um, until she did this podcast, and she, she went to high school here with Jackson Pollock. Yeah, yeah, you know, I Jackson know that. Pollock yeah. went to school here. Yeah. 
you know? And he was trying at the end of his life to paint, go back to figuration. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, they wouldn't let him because it was only, you're only allowed to do abstraction. Yeah. yeah, there was it was a whole. Well, it's group. probably more complicated. It's like it's very difficult to go back. You know. Well, Phil Gustin did. Phil well, Gustin not really. I mean, he really went forward. No, he went but, forward. But what yeah. I'm saying is, he went back. He, what he did was. He, he went back to figuration. But he, he went back to figuration in a different way. He was, he was first a realist painter. Yeah, yeah. Then he was an abstract painter, and then he became a cartoon kind of painter with, with, with but also with social commentary. And yeah, it doesn't yeah. relate to the work. Yeah in the early yeah. work. How many uh, museums in LA have a Philip Gusson? Not one, you know that? Really? Well, that's yeah. too bad, because they should. Yeah. No, I mean, San Francisco has a few, because he gave them, I guess. I, um, I think he's, he's um, somebody to look at again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're all looking at him, I mean. Are they looking at him? Oh, yeah. You know, all these young people. I mean, you know, I just think well, they drawing are in, again. There are a lot drawing. into it. That's true. A lot of they, them are into cartoon and craft at the same time. That's one of the things. I mean, we came more from a fuck you attitude towards right. art, away right. with preciousness. And what about the pottery? You talk about pottery. What, what, uh, what, the pottery. How did that come about? That came about in a, in a, in a way on the side. Like in, it was kind of a side road. I always wanted to throw pots. And I had a, a woman, she was a Chinese student from Taiwan, who spoke very little English, and she was a great potter at school at UCLA. Yeah. And she was a grad student, and I asked her if she could show me. And she was so good as a teacher, she let me do whatever. You know, like, when I first threw, they said, well, you have to send her perfect, you know, and you make these soup bowls. And I couldn't, I had no patience and whatever. And then she basically sat with me, I mean, she, she's phenomenal. She would say, mm-hmm, feels good. Up, a little higher, higher, okay, good, leave it alone. And then I had to make 500 pots. That was her thing, you know. And then it was just a work of love. I mean, I really liked her a lot. She was so isolated there. Her husband was a accountant in China, in, in Monterey Park, and he allowed her to go to school. So she took the bus and she studied. And, and she's, she's an angel. And she is a... I, I just tried to contact her and she said, oh, I'm now a... A reborn Christian, I'm a missionary. I don't pop, do any pots anymore. <laughs> so hopefully but, you don't do pots on your own. Uh, but she, I, I <laughs> learned how to do them, and then I started to do pornography on them. Yes. And it was the first time that I used these pots. First of all, I never showed them uh, before. You know, I was just for years. You never had a show? No, I had now. I had, but, you know, where, where did you have them? I had a show at Santa Monica Museum in the project oh, room. Right. I had a show just now at MOCA in MOCA, Detroit. A pot. Yeah. I see. It's coming back next week. Oh, really? Great. Yeah, it was like. 20. Did you show it here? Well, I showed. I think it's time to get this. I showed them at He's He's Ceramics, but that's a store. You know He's. No. He's is this really high-end pottery Where, store. Where? How do you spell that? H e a t h. Oh, He's. I see. It's a it's Where a commercial fifties pottery that these young people bought from the from Edis He's. And it's like a, it's like Bauer, but more minimal. And they have a small gallery, so they, they, and I actually sold a bunch to the Obamas, to the White House. Did you really? Yeah, it was like. Crazy. What did they buy? They bought the ones without girls on them. <laughs> <laughs> they have little girls. Yeah, they don't want to. Well, I mean, it was Michael Smith. He's like a, a art, uh, he's a designer. Yeah. To the stars and to the White House, but anyways, so I really enjoy making those pots because it's. 
you know, I make them, I make 50, 60, it's kind of my compulsive behavior anyway, I like to make multitudes of things, and then I paint them, and when you turn them around, uh, you, and you know, don't know what you get until you fire it, because the glazes look all like brown mud, you know, they don't look like blue, green, yellow, so I don't know, although the mixes are really, you know, unpredictable, you never know. So I love that whole thing about it, and I'm a bit, I mean, you saw how many I have, I have more. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So. And, um, so, are you still making woodcuts? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, not, you? not, I, I, I did them in 80, 83, 84, then I stopped, then I did them in the 90s, I did these, these big ones on, 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 on fabric. Right. I did a whole bunch. And then I did some again in 2000, in 2004. I did the tank, I showed them at Susanne Fielmeter. Right. I did all these, uh, and then I have only done here and there some. I redid a Van Gogh because somebody wanted some, so I made a big Van Gogh. Who I never had, had, oh, I had a woodcut of the Mara. Uh, I remember the woodcut of the, the Mara. Lachma has one. And then I did a big red one that was really long. It was like 16 feet by seven. And I painted over it. <laughs> I painted over it. Like usually, bring, I, bring back I paint. I, I paint good, over. Uh, I mean, that's also one of my illnesses. It's one of my all-time favorite. Uh, that I paint over my paintings. It's nearly like a, do uh, a love-hate thing. You know, yeah, that well, I, keep the morale. You are next. You know, and there's a like. It's a weird thing. Charlie uh, wrote once a really great article, Charlie Ray, yeah. he did something, he says, whenever I come to Roger's studio, there's something else going on, and I see a painting of his wife, but he paints a car on it, and then the <laughs> next thing he says, and, uh, he painted a building on top of the car, and so there's all these layers of these things. Yes. Yeah, he sings on like a TV station. A little, uh, yeah. Like switching channels. But, um, so what subjects are you, what are you getting now? I'm painting these big, they're hidden, they're, uh, uh, they're flowers, they're poppies. And white? But they're plants, and I have a black and white, they're black and white, uh, some are really colorful, right now I'm doing mostly black and white. Um, they're just uh, subject matter, non-meaningless. I paint, what are these flowers? Are Chrysanthemums. Yeah, I have a really big one next door. And then um, the, f the the colorful are really huge. Thank you so much. This has been a delight. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. I really mean it. Okay, that's the end of it. Yeah.